Welcome to Help Me to Understand, a podcast where women give their voices to issues of social justice, political activism, giving back, and other topics relevant today. I'm your host, Felicia Garland. As you look around, you can't avoid the fact that we live in an age of political and social divisions, global warming, economic and racial inequality, and a breakdown in many of our social structures. And that was just this morning's news. I find it can be all so confusing, and I bet you do as well. Perhaps you'd like to make a difference in the world, even if only a small one, but you feel you need more knowledge and understanding around the issues we face in order to develop the tolerance, empathy, and compassion you need to become a force for good. It's my mission with this podcast to hear from women who are working every day to make a difference. So welcome, curious listener, to this journey of discovery and understanding. I'm so glad you're here. Together, let's become a force for good. Today, I'm speaking with Felicia Farber, an attorney, mediator, and arbitrator based in New Jersey, and now published author. Her debut novel, Ice Queen, focuses on the real-life consequences of the common adolescent behaviors of sexting and cyberbullying, and illustrates how teenagers immersed in digital technology and social media risk having their digital behavior criminalized. Felicia is active in the New Jersey State Bar Association, currently serving on the Executive Committee of the Labor and Employment Section, and is a trustee of the Women in the Profession Section. She also serves on the Supreme Court's Committee on Complementary Dispute Resolution. She's a frequent speaker and educator on the topics of sexting, cyberbullying, and cyber abuse and harassment, and has become a well-respected expert in the patchwork of laws in this area. Hi, Felicia. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Felicia. Thank you so much. So we have a lot to go over, but before we start about uh, talk about your book, Ice Queen, I'd like to, certainly for myself, set some definitions. So what is sexting, what constitutes cyberbullying, and then how prevalent are these activities? Okay, sexting is sending or receiving nude or explicitly sexual material through cell phones or any type of electronic device. It covers nude and partially nude images and obscene material and it links to sexually explicit pictures and videos as well as suggestive language. So it's images, photos, videos, links to videos, and basically anything of a sexually explicit nature can be considered to be obscene. And it's extremely prevalent. Uh, Recent studies have shown that over 80% of people between age 18 and 82 admit to sexting within the past year, and 88% say that they've sexted once in their lives. With respect to teenagers, over half of them admit to having engaged in sexting, and these numbers are huge when you consider that 13% of the U.S. population are adolescents. That's about 42 million people right there. And the average age of the first cell phone ownership is 10.3 years old. 
So this makes up an enormous, <laughs> enormous group of people. And if you take it even further worldwide, uh, last year in 2019, 79% of the U.S. population had social media profiles. That's 247 million users. And worldwide, there were 3.5 billion users. So you've got a lot of people out there <laughs> with <laughs> smartphones and access to them. Yeah, so I guess they, res- <laughs> go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, the, I guess they can't help taking a picture of some body part. <laughs> they feel they need to share that with people. Uh, apparently, yeah, this is something, as I said, 18 to 82 for adults. And, and we know that over half of teens have engaged in this practice, so starting as, as early as preteen. Do you, do you happen to know when they ask that question, are they asking it, especially of a younger person, are you sending it with the explicit idea that it's sexual or they're just, se- they're just texting a friend to yourself in a bathing suit or something? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. These these are nationwide studies that have been conducted of middle schoolers and high school students. And it depends what parameters are are set out in the study, if they're starting at age 10 or they're starting at age 12. But apparently it's a very uh, big problem starting in middle schools. And Mm -hmm. now I think it's even trickled down to elementary schools. Yeah, with younger and younger kids getting cell phones, I guess it probably would. Uh, So how is that different from, now what is cyberbullying? All right. I just want to add one more thing about the sexting is that in uh, the last study I spoke about, 17.5% of students were asked for sexually explicit images of themselves. So there there was outright solicitation for these images. It wasn't just, you know, people in a relationship sending them or uh, after a relationship had gone bad. Wow. Which I guess is what we're going to get into with the book. So that's even... Yes. Yeah. Um, is it, I mean, and perhaps they don't know this. Who's actually asking? Is it contemporaries? Is it a 15-year-old asking another 15-year-old or are this predators to some extent? It's some of both. And, and both are worrisome and potentially dangerous, which is the reason why we need to make sure that uh, <laughs> parents and educators are aware of this so they can make sure that kids are aware of this. So let's talk about cyberbullying here. Okay, cyberbullying yeah. is the electronic cousin of bullying. So it's basically bullying that's moved online in the way of intimidation, threats, shaming, Uh, or harassment. And these threats can be physical, or they can be more subtle behaviors and indirect forms of aggression, such as lies, uh, rumors, and gossip on social networking sites and blogs. So anytime uh, anytime there's online threats, offensive jokes, uh, compromising pictures and videos, uh, disparaging um, comments, emails, texts, tweets, all of that is considered to be cyberbullying, and it has other names: online bullying, electronic bullying. Uh, but it's all it's all electronic harassment and bullying. And what's really important in cyberbullying to keep in mind is that they're not one-time occurrences. Cyberbullying is repeatedly and intentionally harassing somebody, mistreating, or making fun of them using computers, cell phones, or electronic devices. 
I would imagine that the activity when I was in school of kids, nasty kids or difficult kids passing notes about somebody else or sort of picking on them in a small group has now is now broadcastable to a much wider audience. So is this much more harmful to the uh, victim of it or more? Yes, it's much more harmful. Exactly. It's much more harmful to everybody involved now because once it's out there, no one has control over where it goes, who sees it, and who's going to keep forwarding it. So it has the potential within seconds to reach thousands and ultimately millions of people, and you can't stop it. So it can be extremely harmful to the victim with long-lasting effects that can follow them through their entire life. But what's also important is that it can be extremely damaging to the perpetrator, to whoever initiated the cyberbullying, because this is their online reputation too. So they have now damaged their own reputation that is out there for their future schools, employers, you know, potential people in a relationship. Everybody can now see this. So it's hurtful to everybody involved. So now let's go to your book, because I suspecting, just so the listeners know, when we're recording this, it hasn't actually been released. So I haven't actually read it, but from our discussions and what I can see online, I gather that um, you may include this in in the book, but uh, it's received some really great reviews, pre-release reviews. And it's certainly, the reviews mention your really strong, authentic character voices. So if you could give us a, without divulging too much of the plot, can you give us a brief overview of that? Because I gather it's a, an accurate portrayal of a situation a teen might actually face. Yes, thank you. So uh, I have actually been raising three teenagers myself. And so I feel <laughs> that I've been immersed uh, in the teenage world for quite some time. So um, I'm happy to see that and the reviews coming out about the authentic teenage voice. And so, of course, I have uh, my built-in beta readers <laughs> right here to make sure that uh, my terminology and verbiage and everything is spot on. So Ice Queen is about two innocent high school students that get caught up in a sexting scandal. So uh, it's obviously a contemporary book about what is happening uh, with dating in our digital world right now. And I think, you know, maybe a a quick way of, of telling the listeners about it is to read the back cover. Um, My back cover is, how can an innocent high school junior get caught up in a sexting scandal? Blair Evans learns that it's pretty easy. Getting out of it is the hard part. Even worse, Blair discovers that the very laws that are meant to protect her end up turning her into a criminal. All the while, Blair endures the relentless bullying of the ice queen and her obnoxious friends, which escalates to new heights when she falls for the queen's ex-boyfriend. She desperately tries to escape the queen's wrath, but a nasty chain of events lands her in the midst of a cyber war. When Blair is finally making headway to get her life back on track, mysterious new new cyber attacks threaten both her freedom and her future. Blair and her closest friends must race against time to figure out who is behind them before her entire world comes crashing down. So 
basically, <laughs> Blair is trying to deal with the legal fallout from the sexting scandal. So she is working with her lawyer and her prosecutor. And her boyfriend also is doing the same thing. And that causes a big problem between the two of them because there's, they're not necessarily aligned in the same interests. And not only are their lawyers pitting them against each other, but the Ice Queen is still very involved here. And uh, she has hated Blair since the beginning of freshman year. And uh, now Blair is really uh, in the center of her target. So she goes after her online uh, as well as in person. And with the repeated cyber attacks, Blair has to try and, fi and stop them and figure out who is doing them or, or else she's going to find herself in jail. It sounds, we take out the digital part of it. It sounds like a kind of a teen love story, but multiplied, the difficulties multiplied many, many times over. Briefly, how does yes. the legal aspect, it is, is it because Blair is a victim or considered a perpetrator or what's the legal angle with that? Both, both. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly the problem that uh, teens in our current day and age uh, in the cyber era are facing here. So uh, that's why I started off with innocent teens. So you have unsuspecting, naive teenagers who are just going about their business, doing what has now become normative behavior for teens. And they turn around and they're treated as criminals when they're really the victim. So the problem that we have in our country right now is that we have outdated laws when it comes to certain electronic behaviors, such as sexting. Our laws have not caught up with technology. So laws that are intended for targeting adult sexual predators are now scooping up teenagers. So teenagers that sexed with each other can be treated under our laws as child pornographers for doing normal things to them, such as exchanging sex in a relationship. So it could be completely consensual. They both agree to do it. Nobody is, you know, sending it out to people they're not supposed to without consent. Uh, but it is still considered under our laws to be child pornography, which has very, very severe uh, legal penalties. Jail, probation, being on a sex offender registry, uh, you know, and sex offender database. So there could potentially be time in prison for childhood sexting, sexting of a minor. What we're trying to do is to protect children uh, because statistically, uh, last year in 2018-2019, uh, there were 45 million photos and videos flagged for online sexual abuse material involving children. That's huge. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason why we have our laws. But teen sexting has now become part of that online sexual child abuse material that they're flagging on phones, computers, and in cloud storage accounts, and it shouldn't be. And that's where our laws have fallen short, and right now there is a gap <laughs> between uh, what our current teenagers and preteens are doing and, and what our laws are doing. So 
uh, that's what motivated me to write this book is because most, most adults, let alone children, understand that by engaging in sexting, even if they agree, they are committing crimes. They are creating child pornography. And then by sending it to somebody, they're distributing it. And anybody that receives it is possessing it. And that's a crime too. So even if somebody <laughs> unsuspecting just receives it, they've committed a crime by looking at it. That's why this is so important. What you just said raises so many questions. I don't even know where to start. Let's put aside the idea that, and you can see why in some cases of real hardcore child pornography, it might be a good thing. But to even be able to flag these photos, somebody has to be looking at what you're sending. So let's just put that notion aside because that's, <laughs> that's a two more hours of conversation. You talked about, you know, teenagers at the beginning are in a relationship. It's consensual. They send little pictures back and forth. But then the relationship goes sour, at least with respect to one person. Yeah. Is that how the sort of revenge porn works? And how does that factor into all this? Uh, revenge porn, yes. So we're hearing more and more about that in the news. And revenge porn is a bit of a misnomer because it's actually non-consensual pornography, which is publishing somebody else's private nude or sexual images without their consent. And it's become a growing form of digital sexual violence. Uh, it's actually not only used for revenge, which is to hurt or embarrass somebody else, but it's also for bragging, arousal, or amusement. And uh, in a cyber civil rights initiative study a couple of years ago, they found that almost 13% of all participants have been victims of non-consensual pornography or revenge porn. And women in particular uh, were 1.7 times more likely to be targeted than men. And what's really disturbing here is that most of the time uh, when these personal images were taken, it was in an intimate relationship with the person's consent. And then, as you said, it, it turns sour, it goes south. And then now these images are out there for the rest of the world to see. And this happens to not only children, but to adults. And we also had a, a pretty um, famous recent case in the news with Congresswoman Katie Hill, where this happened to her. And after five months of being in Congress, she stepped down, she resigned when nude photos of her started circulating everywhere and millions of people saw them and she didn't even know that they were taken or sent out until someone told her. So there are countless stories about revenge porn. And uh, right now, most states actually do have re revenge porn laws. but. Uh, there is no federal legislation uh, that outlaws non-consensual pornography. It's been proposed, and not all states. Uh, there are still four states out there, Massachusetts, Mississippi, South Carolina, and Wyoming, that do not have revenge porn statutes. And even for the ones that do, they're not all the same. Mm -hmm. So, And as you pointed out earlier, because of the pervasiveness of the Internet, you can't walk that back once it's out it's out and you can bring all the cases you want, but it's, it's still out. You can't, you can't pull it back. 
Exactly. You, it's out there potentially forever. You've lost the ability to control it, which is why teens and adults need to be so aware before they put anything out there online. There is no such thing as privacy on the internet. Any image or message that you think is private could end up becoming public. Even images on Snapchat. Uh, Snapchat is very pop, uh, popular with younger teens. Uh, and so, and, and adults also, a lot of them use Snapchat. So things that may disappear for you to see are actually stored on the Snapchat servers and on other servers as the data has passed through the web. So it's still out there. I do want to make sure we cover uh, some recommendations you have to parents about their children. But I wanted to, when we spoke before, you had um, mentioned a case that sort of showed the intersection of when children engage in this, or adolescents engage in this activity, and the parent might become liable. And I thought that was sort of an interesting story, and I'd like you to relay it, because I think it brings it home to the parent who thinks, well, it's kind of removed from me, but it brings it into the realm of the adult. Oh, absolutely. So the reason I first became interested in this topic, how it came on my radar, uh, was years ago when I was at a soccer game on the sidelines. And one of the parents, the dad of one of my son's friends, uh, was very, very upset. And he was relating the story that had just happened to him. And I was just astounded by it. He was at work at his auto body shop and the police showed up to arrest him for sexting for child pornography and he did not know what they were talking about. And it turned out that his son, who couldn't have been more than 11, 12 years old at the time, had taken a picture during the summer of the top half of himself. It turned out that it was in a bathing suit by a lake outside, but you couldn't see that. So he sent a picture of himself that looked nude to this girl that he liked. And apparently the girl didn't quite like him as much. And the girl showed it to her parents and the parents sent it to the police. And the phone was in the father's name as most, if not all children, have their phones probably in their parents' name. So the police came to arrest the dad for child pornography. And I could not believe that this happened. This, to me, was ludicrous, outrageous. Uh, you know, how, how could this happen in our day and this day and age? You know, mm -hmm. especially because it was a boy. It wasn't a, the top half of a girl. You know, typically right. we're thinking of <laughs> sexting involving images of girls. Uh, that, is, that is not how I became interested in this. And I started following it in the news and seeing that this was becoming more and more common. And uh, I am an attorney, and so to see what our laws were turning around and doing to innocent people uh, was, was really something that I thought was astounding and needed to be addressed. And now several years have gone by, and it's still a problem. Our laws have still not caught up. So uh, that is what motivated me to write Ice Queen which for anybody who's interested in reading it is actually a young adult romance and it's uh, got a mystery component to it. it it's a suspenseful, uh, entertaining tale. So it, it does involve sexting uh, and cyberbullying, but you know, that is 
it is not a, a law treatise. It is it's supposed <laughs> to be a fun read so that uh, you can read it on the beach and forget about everything else, you mm -hmm. know, and get immersed in the story, I hope. <laughs> I hope that's the intent and also learn something along the way. Well, I suspect that if you put all the rules in a list and gave it to a teenager, or again, adolescent, probably wouldn't do much good. No, their eyes would be rolling around in their head, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but putting it in the context of a story with which they can relate is, is obviously genius on your part. I want to talk about also another aspect in the workplace, but let's, so we don't forget to cover this, what kinds of things can parents even do to either educate children, watch their children, help their children if they get into the situation? Where do you start as a parent? Well, the first thing parents need to do is to educate themselves. They need to be aware of what's going on and they need to stay informed or else they can't educate their kids. So even if you're a parent or an educator and you just don't understand technology at all, it's passed you by, you are not interested, you don't get it, you can still teach your kids and teach kids uh, that you're educating that they have the right to say no and that they can use their instincts. So don't assume that they know about self, uh, safe technology use and proper behavior online and with phones. That needs to be taught to them just the same way you teach them bike safety and car safety and, you know, safety going to the mall. You know, they need to be taught how to safely use phones and computers. So the best thing is to talk to them about the potential legal, emotional, and social consequences of their actions before they get online and before they get into trouble. So just like you educate them with offline behaviors, they need to be educated about online behaviors such as sexting and cyberbullying. And even just asking them simple questions such as, what if a photo of you gets in the wrong hands? What happens next? How would you feel if it was a picture or video of you that was sent around? Would you ever walk into school naked? Because you, mm -hmm. you have to picture once a photo of you gets out there, picture your principal, your teachers, um, every kid, the, the, you know, the staff, everybody is seeing you with nothing on. And also talk about, you know, you don't know if they're out there perhaps being the bullier at times. So talk to them about, is it right to pressure other people for nude photographs? As I said at the beginning, that is something that it's starting in middle school. Apparently kids are walking in and saying, hey, got any nudes, got any nudes? The way you would say, do you have any gum? Can I borrow a pen? You know, can I borrow a dollar? Got any nudes? Uh, so it's become so common right now, and it starts younger than you might think as a parent. Mm -hmm. So it's important when kids are texting and they're using video games. Video games are also a potential source of trouble for kids, uh, and they, it seems to be more um, prevalent for boys uh, who are using the video games. Some girls, but a lot of boys on the video games, because bad people can impersonate adolescents and you have blackmailers out there and still sexual predators. It's important to talk to your kids that, you know, if they're ever uncomfortable or there's a problem, like there's an open door to you uh, to talk about it. And they need to behave as good, responsible digital citizens 
uh, but they also need to use their instincts. And if anything makes them uncomfortable, they need to block that. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's the ability and all of these platforms and apps to block other people, block the accounts, and they need to use those blocks that are provided. And, you know, we all make mistakes. And when you're kids, you engage in risky behaviors. But now the ramifications for these kids making mistakes and engaging in risky behaviors has magnified exponentially. Mm -hmm. And as we talked about the beginning, it could be out there for the entire world to see forever. When we grew up, you know, my generation, we made mistakes, it was done. Uh, it wasn't memorialized. <laughs> it wasn't stored in servers forever. Well, you know, the, the two things, uh, you said number of things, but the two that sort of stuck out at me as also a, a parent, but now of gro- grown boys, is to let your child know that they have this open door. I explain the behaviors that are dangerous, but to let the child know they can come to you as the parent with their concerns, with their, if they think something has happened but also to be able to say no to something that gives them, that makes them uncomfortable. Exactly, exactly. And when they come to you as a parent, you can't scream and and freak out. Um, You need to be rational and work with them and make them feel understood, supported, and safe. Uh, And whatever you do, you need to listen to them because you don't want to intervene and make the matter worse for them. But we're kind of coming a little bit to the end, but I did want to also mention, because of your experience as an employment lawyer, talk a little bit about digital harassment in the workplace, because this would assume this would overlap with your employment law. You know, we've all been locked down at home uh, using a lot more internet, social media, those sorts of things. Do you expect an uptick in at all and maybe the number of adult or, and of course the or even adolescents, of course, are stuck online as well. Do you ma- imagine there'll be an uptick in the amount of cases that will come up? I don't know. There could be because we have been stuck at home with people entertaining themselves in various ways and communicating virtually. So this was already something that was going on in in the workplace and personally. And so I imagine there will be a sharp rise in some of these incidences. So right now, sexting is a workplace problem because people don't realize uh, that even if they are sexting with a colleague or a coworker and they think that it's private, they need to be 100% sure it's consensual. So as long as it's consensual, it should be okay. But if there are any unwanted sex exchange, then you could be not only looking at violations of sexual harassment policies, but potentially of laws. Mm-hmm. And people who sexed at work uh, need to recognize that that behavior is, is not appropriate and it's not <laughs> professional. But employees don't always have a clear picture of that, especially if they are using a work device. Mm-hmm. You know, if they were given that or if they're allowed to use a personal device for work purposes, and then those lines can get blurred there. So there needs to be very specific training mm-hmm. for employees and employers need to make sure that technology use and anti-harassment policies address things such as sexting and cyberbullying uh, specifically. 
Yeah, I can imagine, as you said, if the employer, if it's an employer provided device, and this goes on at, at the office, that the employer has a lot of potential liability there as well. And the other employee, why didn't you protect me? And uh, again, this, yes, is another, yes. this is another two I, hour discussion. I, I do a lot of employment mediation and I can tell <laughs> you that we do have all sorts of issues and then the employer finds themselves at the litigation table, in my case, the mediation table, and they are not happy. <laughs> so, so this is your first, first book, uh, first novel. Yes. I think it's going to go on to be great. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I understand that you've created your own publishing company. What exactly does that entail? Yes, yes. I started a vanity um, press. It's called Pyramid Press. I created my little logo of uh, a pyramid to go with it. And essentially, I, I love to write. And this is my first fiction book. And I have a lot more that are going to be coming behind it. So I decided to start my own company. So I formed a limited liability corporation uh, for my, my publishing company. And I have other things in the works behind this. So yes, I'm ready to go. Can you give us just a little hint of what's coming down the pike? Children's chapter book series, a, uh, a legal uh, thriller picture books, another young adult novel. So yeah, many things. And, and somewhere in there, you managed to also have a mediation and arbitration practice. Are you going to yes, move anything I, more I to that? I don't want to put you on the I spot. Work, I do. I work full time as a mediator and an arbitrator. So this is my passion that I do every every free moment or, or even have to sacrifice sleep to do it, <laughs> create my own free moments. So when you're passionate about something, uh, you find a way to get it done. And, you know, there are so many people who are, are so talented in their fields, but they have side projects and side interests that are their real love, their real passion, and they hope to find success in that area and do it full time. And, and I would fall into that category. <laughs> well, um, I do want to wrap up by asking you one question question or one ask you for one takeaway from this conversation besides read and buy your book what would a listener what's the one thing you'd like them to understand about cyber abuse and harassment i think it's really important to think first before you're whether you're an adult or a child uh, before you act think about the consequences of what you're doing, what could happen, who's going to see what you're doing. And you never post anything when you're angry or upset. Walk away, think about it first. Try and think about how the person receiving that post is going to feel. How would you feel? There is, if you're going to sex, uh, there is a responsible way to do it. Keep your face out of it. Try to be as anonymous as possible. Don't do anything that shows personal identifiers on your body, such as tattoos, or you're in a place that has pictures or mementos behind you, turn off access location on your phone so no one can find you through your image or your photo. So be safe and act with dignity, integrity, um, and care about other people. It's so easy to hide anonymously when you are online and on your phone. And 
it's really important to understand that, you know, there are people out there who are receiving what you're doing and you could be the recipient and everybody has feelings. It affects them and it, it could cause very severe mental health consequences to people if there's anything put out there with public shaming, mass emails, you know, uh, lies and rumors, you know, may seem fun or innocent enough and, and it can be very hurtful or damaging. And we have technology at our disposal, which is amazing. And so please just keep it positive and, you know, and act the way that and treat others the way that you would like to be treated. Can't go wrong with the old golden rule. If my listeners want to learn more about your book, Ice Queen, where can they find that information? I have a website, which is FeliciaFarber.com, my name, F-E-L-I-C-I-A-F-A-R-B-E-R.com. I have news articles on there that you can see about recent incidents that have happened to regular people, famous people across all socioeconomic lines. Uh, there's an article that I wrote for New Jersey Lawyer Magazine uh, on the legal aspects of this topic. And I have my reviews up there. So thank you, Felicia, to the other <laughs> Felicia. Uh, Ice Queen so far has gotten excellent reviews. And a little bit more about myself and the book on the site. I am also on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm building up my following right now for that. Good. So well, it is a very exciting time. And there yes. is a contact page on my website if anybody uh, would like to get in touch with me directly. Well, I am going to put all that information on my website, helpmetounderstand.com. There'll be a link to this episode, to Felicia's, uh, her own website, and then all of her social media. Oh, thank you. Thank you. If you like what you've heard, please go to my website, helpmetounderstand.com to listen to more great episodes, or better yet, subscribe to receive new episodes as they are released. Thanks, Felicia, so much for joining me today. Thank you, Felicia, so much for having me. This was so much fun, and um, good luck with your podcast program. I've been listening to uh, your other guests, and it's, it's really um, a wonderful, wonderful thing you're doing, and and I hope that this just keeps expanding further and further um, across the nation. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Help Me to Understand. If you like what you've heard, please go to our website, helpme2understand.com to listen to more great episodes. Or, better yet, subscribe to receive new episodes as they are released. I'm so glad you can join me. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.